0: Welcome to episode number Adam is Bold of the Football Shirt Show. Welcome back listeners, that's right, they think it's all over the Football Shirt Show and we are now at episode 96. I did just read the script. It's not my fault, Adam. I'm Adrian Football Show Italia. Adam, not my fault.
1: Am I meant to respond to this? I, I don't understand like where all this baldism is coming from. Um, but anyway, I'm Adam at this one kit. Hello,
0: everyone. So we'll introduce <laughs> the perpetrator of that gag and the script writer. It's Mike. How are you, Mike?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, that, that was me. Um, but there is... No disputing the fact that Adam is bold, so it's completely accurate.
0: And who else is joining us today? We've got we've got a full house.
3: Yeah, I'm here. It's Tom at fan. Hello everyone. Hello Adam. Looking very bold tonight.
1: What's going on? <laughs> You know we've got some bored listeners that are gonna be upset by this. there's gonna I'm gonna start my own podcast. We're not being just going a, to be, we're
2: not being offensive. You you are bold. It's just it's an observation. It's like I saying don't pick on your like, beady little eyes. <laughs> anyway, and last
0: but not, not least, it's Scott. you, Scott.
4: Yeah, good. After my absence last week. I'd have thought Adam would have been more upset that Liverpool was shit than the fact he was bold. Going there early.
1: It's about 50-50 on both, to be honest.
0: <laughs> Tom, you're not going to throw any football banter at Adam today, are you?
3: We Chelsea links, day? No? Not looking rosy, is it? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm in a position to throw stones, to be honest. It's a very glass yeah. house I'm sat in right now.
4: A fucking glass conservatory you're sat in right now.
3: Oh, look at him piping up for the first <laughs> time in seven years. Man United, <laughs> United fan.
4: <laughs> One
1: victory. Against it was West Ham he played as well, wasn't it?
4: Uh, I think you'll find it's two in a row
1: now. Oh, two in a row! Oh, Dizzy Heights. Yeah. Oh. Does
0: that count though? Because David Moyes could never win at Old Trafford when he was Man United manager, so he got a chance when he's West Ham manager. No, but it
4: counts because he's such a prick that I love it when we beat them because he fucking ruined us. He wouldn't, he wouldn't come on this podcast anyway because it would be an hour of me asking him how he fucked up the easiest job in the world. Says it all when the one person that sat, yeah, looking down at us all, is a. Aston Villa fan,
2: <laughs> yeah, two yeah, big fans yeah,
4: up there. You're all right this weekend. You got pumped last weekend, though, didn't yeah. you? Or midweek was it?
2: Uh, we, we, yeah, well, we're not going to win everyone.
4: By the least informed club in the Premier League, shit happens. <laughs> it's got to be Sheffield United, not Villa. <laughs> they haven't won since fucking
0: august <laughs> oh that's true actually i just saw newcastle lost like four or five in a row i assume they were they were least informed but maybe not maybe not maybe not anyway uh football chat is not our strong point we do not profess that it is so we're going to stick to football shirts as usual today and there's loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads to be exact i think four things that we're covering uh in the football shirt news today so let's move on to item number one
2: what have we got I'll go first. I think it's quite a big one. Uh, everyone seemed quite positive about this, and that's the 125th <laughs> anniversary shirt for Verde Bremen. It um, is a really, really nice shirt. seems to have gone down a storm on the on social media. We actually had some stuff sent through to us by Hummel, a little bit of background on the shirt. So... To kind of describe it i'm just going to read a little bit from that so there's a little section that describes the actual shirt itself and it says the jersey designed in a dark green color elegantly merges the modern Verder diamond with the historic crest from 1899 creating a unique pattern that adorns both the front and the back of the jersey the spirit of the club is further encapsulated with the motto liebenschlang Grün Weiss, which means lifelong long green white printed on the back of the neck compliment complimented by the 125 year anniversary logo just beneath the collar for anybody who hasn't seen it that's basically in a nutshell it is an incredible looking shirt and it's sold out within 24 hours
4: as well so that's not true because there's about seven different shops selling it it's sold out (laughs) on their website It's been popping up all day everywhere. (laughs) It has, but most
2: of those it's been selling out, like it popped up on classic football shirts today and was sold out almost immediately as well. Same as
4: the Football Shirt Collective they sold out to.
2: Yeah, so I think it sold out through the official Verda outlet pretty much within those 24 hours, and then everywhere else that it's dropped, I could be wrong, but it seems to have sold out everywhere else as well, which is pretty good going. But, I mean, the shirt itself, was I think it was Beautiful, though. What does everybody
4: else think? Yeah, Adam, what do you think?
1: What do I think? You're only asking me because I put in the group (laughs) chat that I really don't like it.
4: Would I do such a thing?
1: Well, you just did, and you would. (laughs) And it seems that I am the uh, the one to be picked on every week. But no, that's fine. Honestly, I'm I'm not a huge fan of it, primarily, because I don't really like the blackout-style shirts. And this is following the same kind of thing where the Hummel logo and the sponsor are in the same colour as the shirt and I just don't like that there was the um the Chelsea anniversary shirt wasn't there Tom that did that the FA Cup one brilliant shirt but the sponsor was in the same blue as the shirt I'm not a fan of it myself
3: yeah I get why you'd say that I think that Chelsea shirt it looked brilliant on the pitch but I mean I have the replica version not the dry for ADV and it's yeah it's not it's not my favourite Chelsea shirt and I'm I'm with you actually I'm not I'm not overly enamored with this Ferdinand Bremen shirt. I think it's very ordinary. There is not a thing about it that makes me think that's a special shirt or it's like really? a subdued. <laughs> People, you know, it's horses for courses and all that. I just think it's. We spoke about the Renaissance shirts, the Puma Italy ones last week, and it's like a subdued version of that. I agree with Adam. Maybe if it had. Some contrasting details like it, like a gold Hummel logo. Oh, I think one.
0: Tom, take a closer look. I think it's triumphant, triumphant. Look at the collar detail at the back. It's got like this really cool one, two, five, and then like the, the the logo underneath it. The um, what is the uh, what is this the stitch like pattern that they've they've got in it? But the um, the stitching on it that goes all through the pattern of a shirt, absolutely incredible. And then even sort of like some of the modern details, the the way they've got that. Glorious heat pressed Hummel in the colours, so it's not over over sort of intrusive on the shirt. I, I think I can see I can see why there's so much noise around the shirt. I think it's brilliant, and it comes in a box, signed, sealed,
3: and delivered, Scott. So the, the pattern on the shirt is the old original logo, that like squiggly pattern. Is it? Well, that's uh, yeah. oh, I mean, that makes it even better. No, just, no better just to
1: be clear, I do like the shirt. It's just the details. Oh, um backtracking that. no no, as as in like i I really don't (laughs) i I would like it if the logos were contrasting but i just i can never ever get on board when the logos are the same color i think just because i like to wear my shirts and it almost looks like it's a printing error or something i don't know it's just my own personal kind of thing but so yeah maybe i'll backtrack a bit just to appease anyone who might be coming on the podcast at some point (laughs) but I don't mind the shirt, but I don't like the applications of the logo or the sponsor.
0: Okay, I think we are at least fifty percent in agreement that that is a glorious shirt, Mike. I think you're probably the biggest fan here. Again, we talked about shirt of the years all time. It's February. Do you think this will rank come end of two thousand and twenty-four, or is it we just going to have forgotten about February by then?
2: I don't know. It's it's early, isn't it? This is the problem. This is what we've said on the one we just did that some of the shirts that dropped very early in the year it takes something really special to uh to come back up in the poll at the end of the year but personally i think this one could i really i really do because despite baldy getting all fucking pissy about it and tom sticking up for baldy because he called him bald earlier and feels bad about it <laughs> i just i think it really is a glorious looking shirt and i genuinely i'm i'm not surprised it's it's gone down as positively other than those two than it has
0: Well, moving on from that really big one, there's another shirt that's come out this week, or possibly two shirts, coming out on the day of this podcast release, which could give
4: a lot of people a huge amount of pleasure, couldn't they, Scott? Yes, it's another exciting AC Milan fourth release. Last year, they did a collaboration with, not Cock, but Kocher, yeah, which was, again, a great top. Came nicely boxed. They had a goalkeeper, and a player's version, and this year, they are collaborating with Pleasures. Pleasures, remind me, Tom.
0: You know when we went to Milan and watched the AC Milan Juve game, we had a few drinks and I went back to the hotel, but you carried on going out. I was going through your receipts the next morning when you didn't make it to breakfast, and I saw a few ATM cashback with jewels, at a bar called Pleasures. Is that where the shirt comes from? I wish we'd been to
3: Pleasures. All I can say (laughs) was frustration was the the name of the (laughs) the establishment.
4: Anyway, so they're not linked No, Scott. You want want to get back to it, yeah. So again, they've released a black version and a cream version, but interestingly, they've got everybody guessing because you can get all of the squad players on both shirts, which implies it may not be exclusively a player and a goalkeeper shirt. Uh, It will be boxed which, again, makes it attractive to me. And I've taken great pleasure in finding out that, as usual, footy headlines are completely wrong, and it's not based on the cathedral, which is called the Duermo. It is actually L.A. streetwear brand with intricate beauty of Milan's gothic architecture, so not specifically footy headlines, the cathedral. But we're used to you being wrong 99.9% of the time. So that's standard. And your leak was also completely inaccurate as well, which is also highly amusing. Don't edit that out. Thoughts? Come on, Tom. What do you think?
3: I Yeah, I, I think they're really smart. I think um, smart is, is the right word for them as well because the fact that they're black and white, and very, you know, monochromatic. I think they are smart looking shirts. I do prefer the white one think it just it stands out a little bit more than than the black but yeah they they are nice i think i think uh, you're probably more of a fan than i am i i think i prefer the cachet one actually, but the white is very nice yeah, I, I, I
0: think this is the best of a set so far
2: I would like to say I don't like either of them i genuinely j yeah. ge- or, or joking aside, i genuinely don't. I don't know. I, I, I struggle to buy into a lot of the Milan specials that they're doing. They're just not my cup of tea. It's as simple as that.
0: Your favourite, 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 favourite shirts of recent time is basically a copy of oh, yeah, the yeah. Bucket I was literally
2: shirt. just about to say I like the one that was what I call like it's dip dyed, like it's been bleached on the bottom and the top. That is my favourite one that they've done. They're not bad. They're just not my cup of tea.
1: Yeah, I, I feel the same as Mike, actually. I, I think they're all right but I wouldn't be rushing out to buy them. If I had to pick one, I would go for the white one, but yeah,
0: each to their own,
1: but meh.
0: Thanks. Well, it's Thursday and I'm rushing out to buy the black one, but thanks guys. my mood. <laughs> what have we got? We've got two more bits of news. What are the final two pieces we've got today?
3: So I went to quite a cool event on Sunday. I'm sure people might've seen it on the socials, but the podcast was invited to a event in London, and as the London resident, I was nominated to take part. And it was it was great actually. So it was Admiral that invited us along after we spoke to them on this podcast, and they were celebrating 110 years of the company and 50 years of the replica football shirt, which of course they invented. If you like, the first one, which was a lead shirt. So it was an exclusive little event. There was a few collectors there, some photographers in a studio in Shepherd's Bush. And essentially what they wanted to do is get all of the well-known Admiral collectors down with their collections. So they could photograph them along with a load of Admiral shirts that the company themselves had tracked down in the last 18 months. And all of these shirts up close and in detail are gonna be put in like a compendium book, in like an album. And there's gonna be some uh you know script written as well telling you about some of the the games that these shirts featured in or the players that wore them, that kind of thing. But essentially it's a great way from a collector's point of view to have a look at these shirts up close. Because they're incredibly rare, these Admiral shirts, a lot of them, you know, NASL ones, the Coventry shirt, some of these very first original ones. And it's a great way to authenticate them. You know, I'm sure there's a, I know there's a Munchin Gladbach book around and there's a Verona book as well about shirts and a couple of other clubs and they're always good little guidebooks to help collectors authenticate and and spot the finer details so I think it's a it's a coffee book well worth looking out for and it was a great little event I got to meet some good guys good people there and some fantastic shirts it was it was really good
1: yeah the pictures you shared online looked really really fantastic I mean we've obviously had Admiral and Theo from Admiral on the pod before. And they are such a classic brand, aren't they? And some of their shirts are amazing. I'm lucky enough that I own a couple of the old NASL ones, including, I think you shared some of them on the pictures, didn't you?
3: And I, I, so I will be sharing them on the podcast. Yeah, but they will be sharing them. I'm oh, saving ones, it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, because I've seen the pictures, but I, I won't spoil what they are then. But yeah, just a, a great event. It, look, it looked like all round. And you did share the the famous Coventry shirt. You held that in your hands, didn't you?
3: yes i did that was really cool actually a great guy called mark who i believe is at ccfc collector i think he is on twitter he's a huge coventry fan and he has all the original coventry admiral shirts but mainly that brown one which regularly comes top of the worst uh, football shirt pole of all time but it was great and it had a really cool little story so from the photo you can see there's a nine stitched on the front on the back is an eleven and I asked him, I said, well, that's not the original stitched number on the front. He said, well, no, but what happened was these kits were so hard to come by back then. They also used to use them for training. And for some reason, Coventry had stitched a nine on rather than an 11. And he said he's been asked to stick, take it off, pick it out, but feels like it's scrubbing out a bit of the shirt's history. And I, I'm inclined to agree with him. I think it's a another cool little element on a shirt that's already really hard to come by.
2: I was just going to touch on the fact that you did put that tweet out and actually refer to it as, like, was it the shittest shirt ever? or The, the worst. worst. <laughs> <laughs> I did see a couple of cough fans reply not particularly happy about what you'd said. So I'd just like to say that's not the thoughts of everybody on the pod.
3: <laughs> I did asterisk it. I asterisked it. Uh, you know, not my opinion, not my views.
4: <laughs> like Liverpool's Premier League title. Oh,
3: honestly. Sorry. sorry. I mean,
0: it can just I just point
1: out that Liverpool had already won the league by the time the pandemic had happened, if you work out on the amount of points they had because we were that far ahead. Shut up. Shut up all of you. What is it this week?
0: How many weeks is it taken for Adam to buy back?
1: Oh I finally that snapped. <laughs> finally, the, 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 the Rainbow Magic Librarian has finally finally snapped. Um yeah, shut up. Just going back to that Coventry kit, though. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I, I think more brown more brown football shirts. I, I can't think of many. Aside from St. Pauli, there was a Porto away shirt a few years back, wasn't there?
4: Yeah, blue and brown but, one. It was pretty yeah, bad. But,
3: see, I quite like that one. The, yeah, more brown shirts, I think. One of my favourite football shirts that I have that never gets any love, but it's a Brentford third kit from a couple of years ago, I think 2018. And it's chocolate with like orange velour shoulders and it's hideous but i love it yeah it's great it's one of my favorites
0: well cracking event and we look forward to seeing more of that book when it comes out final piece of news this week is
1: it is fc utrecht wearing a very special name set and typeface on their usual home shirt so This weekend, or last weekend, rather, FC Utrecht defeated 4 40 this weekend, wearing their normal home shirt, as I said. But on the back of the shirts were hand-drawn typefaces by children from the Wilhelmina Children's Hospital. And the shirts are now being auctioned off for charity. Now, to describe them, they are literally hand-drawn in their style. So the players' names are handwritten and the numbers... Look, it looks like it's been done in marker pen. Now, there is a question whether they were that or whether they were particularly legible and whether that was kind of okay, but as a kind of raising awareness type thing, I think they look really cool. I, I think they were a really lovely touch to the shirts. They look interesting, actually, better than some of the uh name sets that you get generally, to be honest. I don't know what everyone else thinks, but I thought it was a really nice touch. The only negative is it is a Castore shirt, so the. Name and number are probably going to fall off or something.
4: Well, not if they've drawn it on with pen. It Even might then, be the only they're way to fall can... off. <laughs> it's it. That's why Castoria have done it. It's the only way they can get their fucking details to stay on their shirts <laughs> is to physically draw them on. Very cool idea. I love it when teams make shirts unique like that. I'm all for it. Love a one off shirt. Good for yeah, that.
2: Same. It looks really good. Uh, sorry if anyone said this. Is there anything about the shirts? Are they being like auctioned off or anything? Did, did you say that? Because I wasn't listening particularly
1: is it because I'm bald and you don't like listening to bald people <laughs>
2: it's, it's just it's very shiny and it takes a lot of the attention
1: <laughs> I use a matte moisturizer I'll have you know to make it less <laughs> shiny how dare you I presume it will be for the Wilhelmina Children's Hospital that they're raising the money for that would be my assumption maybe someone listening can confirm that with us but they are being auctioned off for charity yes mike if you were listening you would know that
2: yeah sorry i'm not gonna lie when you lot are talking i hope the people who listen to this podcast listen better than i do because i fucking switch off
1: can i just say while we have been talking i have just bought a shirt on ebay so that's how much i'm paying attention as well
0: <laughs> <laughs> hang on so i'm watching the football mike's just playing not listening you're shopping on ebay tom scott what are you doing i was checking to see how low on the table calgary are as predicted it's bottom three Tom's just thinking of his pleasures in Milan. Right, let's uh, let's move on. That wraps up the news and an action-packed news it was indeed this week. For our feature, we're taking a step back in time. I'm taking you back to the 1970s, where I had the pleasure of sitting down with Gary Thacker. You may remember him before from the podcast. Written some excellent, excellent books. But this time he's got a new book coming out called O Jogo Benito. You might have guessed it. Yes, it's about that Brazilian team of the 1970s. So wrap your ears around this So this week, we are delighted to welcome back a friend of the pod, Gary Thacker. You might remember Gary joined us a couple of months ago talking about some of the great number 10s and Ajax. But he's just about to release a book that got us a little bit excited. It's going back to one of the most famous football teams of all time, one of the most famous international football kits of all time. We're talking about the yellow and green of Brazil and his new book coming out in a couple of weeks time, O Jogo Benito. All about Brazil and that famous 1970 World Cup squad. Welcome back, Gary. Thanks, Eddie.
5: Great to be back on. And uh, I, I, one of my favourite things is talking talking about football. So I'm um, well chuffed to be back on, matey. Thank you.
0: There we go. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, obviously, we love the kits, but we're uh, football fans at heart. And think about football kits. And I think one of the first kits people think of is that Brazil kit.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's some classic kits in that. Obviously, the uh, the Peru kit as well, that sort of uh, white with the broad uh, red sash on as well, iconic kit. But uh, I've got a little story about that Brazil kit: the yellow shirt and the blue shorts and the um, green socks so the green trim. Brazil's original colours were actually all white. They played in all white in 1950 in the World Cup that um, was held in Brazil, and they were favourites to win going into the last game, which is the only the only tournament without a final because they played on a a group all the way through, but it just so happened that the last game suffered terms as finals against Uruguay. Brazil were sort of well favoured to win, and even before the game, the newspapers would call them champions, all this sort of thing. And uh, basically, they scored first, and then Uruguay equalised, and Uruguay beat them in the end. Uh, They lost, and it was a sort of real, like a national tragedy for Brazil. They were just trying to prove themselves to be a developing country and successful. And uh, Pelé said it's the only time he ever saw his father cry. But after that after that uh, game, they thought the white kid was cursed. So they said they wouldn't wear it again. So one of the newspapers, I can't remember which one it was, ran a competition to was designed the new kit i mean i thought this was like you know one of those urban myths but no wow. no 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 it's true it's true um and it was designed by a, a, a lad who was only about 17 18 at the time and he took the yellow shirt obviously with the blue shorts the green trim off the flag uh, as i mentioned and it, he's it, quite famous now he's a, he's a universe professor or or something he's quite well known uh, uh, a commentator in brazil but uh, yeah that's how it came about And there's a couple of interesting things about that kit as well. Um, I mean, obviously, I know, you know, it's a kit. We're talking about kits here for a bit. Um, In 1958, the 1958 final, Brazil played Sweden. Now, Sweden's colours are exactly the same. Yellow shirts, blue shorts. So, someone had to change. And because uh, Sweden were at home, it was Brazil that had to change kits. And their official nominated second kit was all white. But the players
0: refused to wear it because it was cursed. The kit was cursed. And I guess <clears> that was <throat> was that Pele's first World Cup, and he would put images of World his dad Cup. crying with that white kit. I can understand why he did. Yeah, oh wear yeah, it. well, yeah,
5: but they wouldn't wear it, so they refused. And a couple of days before the final, because it was only two or three days, well, three or four days before the, the semifinals, the final, they sent a couple of their um, trainer uh, entourage out into Stockholm to buy some blue T-shirts. And they hadn't sewed the badge and the number on the back, and they played in that. So that's why Brazil played in blue in that in that game because they refused point blank to wear the,
0: the the white shirts. That rings a lot of bells. In fact, I could be wrong, but I think they had to go and borrow a kit from a a local Swedish club in the end. Could be wrong. I try and look into that. Somebody did it during that World Cup. It's ringing some bells, and maybe it was Brazil, maybe it was somebody else. But it,
5: there was a, there was a famous one in. I can't remember the year when France were playing somebody, and they had to go and borrow a kit in one of the World Cups and they ended up playing in green and white stripes and uh, blue shorts, I think. But uh, <clears throat> I might be wrong, but I, this is where I read Pele spoke speaks about this in his autobiography. So yeah, I mean, I assume it's true. But and, and uh, another strange one in the same well in, in 1970 World Cup, Brazil were playing uh, Romania in the last group group game, and Romania's colours were yellow and blue as well. So they had to change, and they did exactly the same thing. They sent somebody out to buy some sh- some shirts, and had to sell the, the badges and numbers on. So yeah, it's uh, wow! It's strange to think about k- kits, and when you have you know teams, a lot of teams that have that sort of yellow and blue combination. Uh, that's there, that
0: the interesting one. I'm going to have to go and go away and look into that. Following this interview, we will have the answers around those kits um, and, well, and whose kit France borrowed.
5: I'll keep my eye on for your tweets tweet about that because I'm breached
0: my book and I hope it's right. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sure, I'm sure you're right about the Palais and, uh, and the Brazil story. But yeah, the, the, maybe it's the France one I was thinking of. But fast forward then to 1970 and you know, that's when I think probably football kits hit the consciousness of a lot of people, particularly that Brazil kit outside Brazil. And that's because, am I right, it was the first World Cup to be televised in colour? Yeah, oh, well, there was a
5: couple of games were in the 66, uh, there was a, uh, a coloured version, of the final went out, but I mean, I remember I, was, I would be nine at the time, it was black and white and we of but yeah, this was the first um, full colour uh, World Cup. Mexico 1970 was a World Cup of firsts, the first to be held outside
0: Europe or South America, the first time the tournament was broadcast live in colour. But it was also a last look at the jewelry made trophy, because by lifting it for the third time, Brazil would keep it forever. It was arguably the greatest World Cup, won by perhaps the greatest team.
5: A couple of interesting points about that. There's uh, the ball they used, that was the Adidas Telstar, which was the black and white hexagons. And interestingly, the, that ball was actually designed for black and white television. So it'd be easier for black and white television to be spotted. Yeah, on uh, black and white wow. television. But it was obviously, it was part of the uh, of the 1970 World Cup. It's become famous because of that. And as you say, so many wonderful kids in that in that World Cup. You know, as I mentioned, Peru earlier, and this Brazil Play, Peru, part of the book I mentioned, that they were like some, with the green pitch and the red and white, of, Peru and the, the Blue University versus so Brazil, all the crowd as well, and the colours. It was a new thing, obviously, because of the colour TV in the World Cup. But yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And I think it's one of those things that makes it so atmospheric.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I know looking back at some of those images because there's some very famous Brazilian goals in that World Cup. Was it the shot into the bottom corner of the build-up and the the outside of the boot? Is that, is that the goal?
5: No, scored in the other game. And if you talk about the final, that's Carlos Carl uh, Sal- uh, Alberto in the final. yeah, yeah. Faced by Paquetti. That's oh, not a bad goal for Sally on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. I
0: what a great goal on that one!
5: But Josinho uh, scored in every game, kind of the first player to score in every game of the World Cup. So, yeah, I mean, as you say, some some amazing players in that tournament, Pele. Uh, you know, people got the, sort of, because Pele was such a star, so many of the play- other players fall under the shadow in, uh, of the great man. And, you know, you mentioned Josinho, Tosteo, Rivellino, you know, I guess, and Carlos Alberto, um, Claudio Aldo. Some wonderful players, wonderful players, yeah.
0: And just to um, maybe set some sort of context of some of our younger listeners, where would you put, aside from Pelé, everybody knows Pelé's at the top of the tree or near the top of the tree. Give us a couple of those other players. Tell us about where they played, perhaps a modern-day comparison of who they played like and, and where they would rank in today's game.
5: Okay, I'll give you a couple of stories about some of the players, a couple of the players. Um, Tostoe, well, it's not Tostoe, who played, in fact, in that team, there were seven. There were five number tens. Giazino played number ten for his for his club team. Pele obviously played 10 number ten for Santos. Gerson played number ten for his team. Rivolino played number ten for his team, and Tostão played number ten. For his. So that, that, that's how it created the word. But now uh, Tostão, just not Tostão, and um, because he was played as a number ten, he couldn't get into the team ahead of Pele. So he, he he basically changed his. His style of play, so he could be the sort of the number nine rather than the return to get in the team. But uh, famously, just um, late in 1969, mid to late 1969, he had an, an incident in a game but the ball struck him in the eye and he got into retina. And uh, I thought, it obviously, it could be a career ending. And the Brazilian FA flew him out to uh, to America. I think it was Houston. Uh, I think it was Houston. Uh, and for this operation, he went back afterwards. Obviously, he couldn't move for quite a while. And gradually build up and build up and build up and get back. And uh, he's sort of got to turn back into the team, not long before the tournament. And before the, one of the training camps, he's, uh, I started playing up again. And they got this doctor to fly from America to Mexico, and they were in a high-open altitude for altitude adjustment. Two hour drive. this guy had to make to get to the camp, Checked the eye out. It was, it was just conjunctive eyes. It was okay. And he went on and played, yeah. and played in the final. And uh, because he won, the story goes that he gave his winner's medal to the doctor. Who'd been invited as part of the Brazilian uh, setup. So, yeah, so he was sort of tossed there was a very sort of look at similar him well sort of players of today. You're probably talking about somebody like uh, Sherringham or somebody like that, who was a striker who sort of dropped off a little bit as well to create spade for others. Perhaps the other one I to mention is uh, Rivellino. Rivolino is famous for his banana shots, powerful shots. He only came into the, into the um, team quite late as well. He was a number 10 as well. And Zagallo, who was coaching the team at the time, he, 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 came, he was only appointed a couple of months before the World Cup. When he played, he played on the left of a 4-2-4 four, four formation, like a left winger. But when Brazil lost possession, he dropped back into midfield to make it a 4-3-3. Three, three, and he wanted somebody who could do that. And the players who he inherited were playing as wingers, uh, Edu and uh, Palo Cesar, they were naturally wingers that couldn't do the job. He drafted Rivellino in quite late to try him, putting the midfield player on the left rather than trying to back up winger playing midfield. Rivellino sort of secured his job and came quite late into it. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit like when Beckham came from being a wide player into being yeah, a midfield yeah. player. He had that ability to be that sort of transferable situation. So there's quite a few stories about some of the players who were featuring that
0: team, yeah. Rivellino was a man ahead of his time because just looking at his career here he finished off going across to Saudi Arabia i mean you know he was good sort of 30 years ahead of um, ahead of trend there but um very very interesting and going back to uh, Tostal, his goal scoring record was phenomenal cravere 378 appearances 249 goals and for the national team 32 goals in 54 with 54 caps i mean phenomenal yeah.
5: I mean, yeah, as I said, this is this is a guy who couldn't get into the team because Pelé was there. I mean, if Pelé hadn't been there, there'd been any choice of players who could play number 10 in that team. But um, yeah, and he was, I think he was clever enough to be adaptable to uh, to get to get to the team and play as the as the lead striker, as it were.
0: Wow. As you say, in terms of the number 10s that uh, the Brazil team had back then, maybe that's where Southgate gets his inspiration from, but he does it with right backs instead. <laughs> Yeah, good point. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's a guy I didn't do with right backs. I mean, Carlos Albert was the right
5: back, but he almost played like a right wiggle most of the time as well because Brazil had so much precision.
0: The book, what's the you yeah, know, what's the theme running through it, and why should we go out and grab it? I say, well, just the t- I mean, the cover itself looks brilliant.
5: I, I can't take credit for the cover, the, the- the publisher's pitch, there's a guy there called Duncan who does all the covers. and stuff. I mean, all, all my books, pitch. He's he's been brilliant with them. Um, so, yeah, the, basically the story, the, the story of the book, it picks up from 1950 uh, when the American Atsa, when they lost to Uruguay and they were expecting them to win. It was a disaster. And it goes through from, obviously, the, the recovery from that to 58 when they win the World Cup in 62. And then it's 1966 when a, a lot of people sort of say, well, Brazil didn't win because they got kicked out of the tournament. They were sort of bullied and kicked up, uphill and down, which is true to some extent. But that's only part of the story why they lost apparently. There are there's a lot of overconfidence um in Brazil after the successive World Cups fifty eight and sixty two. And nineteen sixty three Brazil the Brazilian FA decided to cash in on the fame of Brazil and set them on a European tour. This is when I say European tour, they were a way for it's roughly this sort of thing. They were away for about 40 days and played 25 games or something crazy. Wow. Like that. It was wow. basically travel, play, travel, play, travel, play. By the end of this this um, situation, the players were obviously exhausted. Although it was done to raise money, that this cover story they gave to the players was it's a chance for you to get used to European conditions for 66. Well, basically, what happened was it allowed the European teams. To study how Brazil played and think about the best way to beat them. So it, it was kind of counterproductive in that way as well. But when they're they, they sort of preparing for 66, the coach picked no less than a squad of 46 players. 46 players that he was going to, and they took them on a tour like they'd done in in, uh, in Europe. They they wanted a tour around Brazil, a different locations, different cities, cities different states where the local politicians would pay to have the Brazilian team go and train there and play against a local club. So they t- almost did it, like a lap of honor before they even landed in England. 40-odd players, apparently. The story goes, I- I've got definitive tooth, but I spoke to a guy called Andrew Downey who's written a couple of books on Brazil. He said that um, it, it, it was sort of, the legend has it, perhaps, because there's that many players and they played so many games, but they never played the same level twice because of all the players, that was different than the, Even when they got to England, they were in a situation where they, they took uh, th- three players too many that had to send players back because they took two, 25 or twenty. So it was really, the organization was terrible, which was yeah. what Pilek uh, like, contributed to it. And then obviously in 1970, the rest the resurrection, when they had the, the great, the great, triumph with the great players all together but the book follows on from there uh what, what happened afterwards because that you think that situation that brilliance of brazil the fantastic players the way they played the the beautiful game it should have been the start of an era of success yet it wasn't in 74 there was hardly any players left in the squad gerginio went and Rivellino went and uh, paulo cesar i think went he hardly ever played and they were a terrible team that, that sort of cut up rough. that Packing, kicking, and really what, what they said England would, would, have, would have happened to them in '66. So that, then they sort of almost threw their World Cup away. And then afterwards, aside from 82, when there was the a sort of flaring of the beautiful game with Santana, this is the team of, of Edo uh, Ed, Ed, uh, Socrates, Zico. Bacow, Jun- yeah. Not that was great team. But after that, basically what happened was, because of the internationalisation of the game, more and more Brazilian players have played in Europe. So by the time you get to 1994, when the last last time they won it, hardly any of the players were playing in Brazil. And therefore, they were almost like a European team. And that sort of happened gradually over time and over time. So the great Brazil of 1970 should have been the start of an era. was actually almost the the end of an era, almost. And yes, that's the story of the book. And they came about the story of the World Cup as well. And then what happened afterwards.
0: Wow. Wow! yeah. I mean, yeah, you think about Brazilian teams and you think about Flair, but in, when you frame it in that context, in terms of what came after 1970, and you think of yeah, all those young Brazilians, I mean, they're, they're snapped up nowadays by European clubs. By the time, you know, 15, 16, they're signing pre-contact agreements with sort of some of the European giants. Um it goes back to that, whether you're coaching things out with kids now, isn't it? Get hold of a talent and where's that yeah. creative freedom go? Well, I mean, it's hardly surprising, I guess. And you're absolutely
5: right, Adam, that you know, they're, they're taking players now so so early and because they, they haven't got to pay as much money for them. So they might even play half a dozen games for their club in Brazil. And then they're taught the European way of playing. So it's no surprise that when they're they called up to play for, um, for Brazil and they've come from Europe, they've come from Saudi in some cases now as well, and, you know, wherever... They can't play, but don't play Brazilian way. They play in a European way because that's how they've they're, they're been brought up. That's how they play every day for their club team. So the Brazilian way, well, I say almost doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anymore. It's
0: It's gone for probably for good. That's incredible. You, you think of the yellow and blue and the green, and you, but you think of the beautiful football, you think of that Brazilian football, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It is. It, they play a European style now, but that's not what your mind tells you when you see the no. colours. I no, you. I mean, you, you know, it's one of those things that you know, you remember the greats
5: uh, and the summer music. And uh, I think I don't know which World Cup it was. Nike did an advert for when there's the Brazilian team. Were in the famous airport
0: advert, <laughs> yeah. And they played yeah, the
5: uh, the. Probably France, something. not France you, in,
0: I Yeah, yeah. did and R- Ronaldo in it? Yeah. yeah, probably France. Yeah,
5: and they played that, but the, that's not how they played, really. I mean, most of those players weren't playing in Brazil, so although they, they still have the, the rare exception, the cavalier player like uh, Ronaldinho. Uh, you know, so have they sell that cavalier play? But they don't play a Brazilian game anymore because they can't. That's not that's not how they play. Strange, strange and sad. But as you say, that, you know that the kit is so iconic. You look at that yellow shirt and immediately you think of the beautiful game. You think of Samba. You think of Pele. You don't think of Dunga, captain. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think of those players. You think of the great stars who made, made the kit
0: so famous. Well, a lot of those great stars that made the kit so famous feature in this book. So I would implore anybody that's interested in Brazilian football, football in general, to go back and read up. Because as as Gary says, this is a a story that sets a scene around Brazilian football across decades. So you can go and find that book. O Jogo Benito It is out. Correct me if I am wrong. It's the 12th of February. It comes out, Gary.
5: It is correct, that's what I said. Yeah, if you want to buy
0: if some ladies out they want to buy their boyfriends or their husbands a Valentine's present, it couldn't be a better thing. <laughs> and it's available for pre order now. People can it go is. in and get it and it arrive on the day. It's um, on Amazon, yeah. There we go. So it's on Amazon. We'll share a link to it as well when this yes. episode goes out. Whether it's reminiscing or whether it's just learning more about the history of the game, it sounds like a great read to me, Gary
5: yeah I, well I hope so I mean it's uh, I don't write about the things that I think are great and you know the, it's the, probably the, you know I've, I've written about the Dutch football as well the Dutch football team in 1974 they were the best team never to win the World Cup Brazil 1970 the best team ever
0: to win the World Cup that is a great shout great shout excellent thank you ever so much guy. really appreciate that and thanks for joining us and as ever we'll get you back what are you writing now we're sure we'll have you back on soon will we
5: well that's my last book I'm finished now I'm retired now no. Yeah, um, you know, it wouldn't help. I, mean, I look 27, but I'm at 67 now, so I'm officially retired. So all my newspaper articles and stuff, my newspaper columns and stuff, magazine columns stopped, and stuff. This is my last book, my last book. So I'd love to come back and talk about kids with you again, Adrian, but uh, it won't be better in the next book.
0: Okay, all right. We'll, we'll hold you to that. Can't believe you just done a Jurgen Klopp on us and and sprung <laughs> that, but uh, we'll look forward to catching up as you go. You take care. Thanks. Bless you, Adrian. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> right guys i really enjoyed that what
2: did you think i thought it was interesting a few interesting points thrown out the idea of, of brazil playing a more european style of football is always interesting um but it was just nice to have an insight into but to be honest, I was—I was only born in '84, so it's, it, as much as we know the the major facts about who won World Cups, it's nice to hear a little bit more in detail. I'd be interested to see what Adam thinks, because obviously he was well alive, well through the '70s, so it, yeah, he it could be have a better insight to, than myself. Two years older than you, really? Oh God! Yeah, I know. You had a rough paper round, mate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd like to formally announce my resignation. From the They Think It's podcast, it's been a wonderful time, I've had a good time, but it's time for, I'm doing a Jürgen Klopp announcing mid-season, I'm not doing it anymore. Just because I just not got Mike's the energy
3: anymore. Me. Yeah, I've not got the energy. I've got a Brazilian hot take for you. But you're going to say you had a Brazilian? Well,
4: <laughs> well. <laughs> just I'm not sure what you think at... it would be. I'm sure they work at pleasures as well. Um,
3: oh, you've thrown me off
4: there, but
3: I, okay, and I, there is some basis to this, so I'm not just throwing this out here to be controversial, but years ago I worked a freelance job for FIFA and I had to watch all of the World Cup matches from the 1930s up to the present day. So I got to see these Brazilian players play like Jairzinho, Pelé, all of them, all these, all these legends of the game. And I never thought in any of the games I watched that Pelé looked any good. Not in one game he did I think he stood out. The one that stood out to me was jezinho who I thought was unbelievable. But Pelé didn't do it for me.
0: And you watched every single Brazil World Cup game? Mm-hmm. Speechless. That is the hottest is it,
2: of hot takes. Is that like world. you watched all 90 minutes of every game?
0: Yeah.
3: This is true. If you ever see World Cup footage, like archive footage, used on telly or like in a film or documentary, that will have been logged by, by me at some point years ago.
1: So not are only we... is that a humble brag, you I are slating say... one of the greatest players of all time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this whole thing was about trying to He can't even defend himself shit. now.
4: <laughs> in conclusion, I edited, I edited all that footage in Pele as shit.
2: I don't think any of us can follow on from that. So basically, at the, the start of this podcast, we proved we don't really know a lot about football, and then Tom's ended it by saying Pele was shit. <laughs> yeah, I
0: reckon. I reckon it's like a massive historical agenda. Knowing that Tom's logged all this as well, I'm think I'm rethinking everything. Like you know that lob from the halfway line that went just wide. I bet that went in, but Tom's edited it to look like it went wide.
3: I removed any footage of David Beckham from the archive, so he's a he's been scrubbed from existence in about twenty years. <laughs> it makes your collection worth more though Scott
4: yeah (laughs) sure it does
0: (laughs) is David Beckham perhaps it sounds like I'm saying this one of the most underrated players of all time
1: yes 100% and I'm saying that as a Liverpool fan I, I, I think people are quite disrespectful about him and think he is literally just someone who crossed the ball
3: and he was a lot more than that who is the most underrated football player of all time? Fabian Delph. Well, <laughs> well it's Fuck not off. David Beckham. I, I you if what. we all think it is, no, it's not with
0: Fabian Delph either.
2: No, it is. I saw him play at Villa Park once. Our fucking Yaya Torre in his pocket, mate. Nobody talks about that, all right? So Yaya Torre,
1: that's a shout. Pelé. To be honest, <laughs> <Massively> <laughs> this bucket, underrated by this one podcast, person.
2: <laughs> this is the only podcast in the world that could have Pele mentioned as the most underrated footballer ever. I, you know, I, I genuinely think Beckham is up there as one of the most. People just think he was just about the brand, uh, but I think the opposite of what Tom's saying about Pele. If you were to go back and watch a lot of United games and a lot of England games, watch the ninety minutes through, you would you'd see what an inc- and Real Madrid, obviously, what an incredible footballer he was and the the energy he put into every game it the ground he would cover it's not just about the 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 passing ability and, and the and the crosses and free kicks it's everything about his game. I, growing up as in a liverpool supporting household who was supposed to hate everything about manchester united i loved david beckham i thought he was incredible and that and i still do not as much as scott but i i
3: do here's a shout for underrated player I don't think he ever gets mentioned but before Ronaldo he was Mr Real Madrid is Raul. I feel like he's been forgotten to time a little bit.
0: Right. If, if he wasn't from Madrid and come through their youth team would they have signed him? Was he that good?
3: He was record Champions League goal scorer, wasn't he?
0: Yeah but he was at the end of all of like he had those unbelievable players just like putting it on a plate for him. Just tapping Merchant. <coughs>
2: I I would say that I I agree to an extent that he probably was helped with the players around him, but the fact that he maintained his position in that team through so many different eras at Real Madrid with so many different world-class players, for me, I don't watch a lot of Spanish football, never have, probably never will, but he has to have had something about him.
0: They felt obliged to have one of their own in it. He couldn't do it in Schalke, could he? Was it Schalke he went to in Germany? But there has got
1: 28 goals in 66 games according to Wikipedia for Schalke well, so, that,
4: so, he's, he's, not so bad. he's what a, there a, are a th- quarter as good as Harry Kane there are a lot of strikers that play in good teams that can completely prove that it doesn't matter if you have a good team around you you'll still be shit and there's a person that plays for your fucking team that is a prime example of that because he's oh. been in many a good team and still can't put the ball in the net Cheaper Motang scores a lot of goals for Bayern Munich, right? And
0: then he couldn't for Stoke. So I think Rails is good as cheaper Mateangk.
4: Let's let's not let's throw the slander, word that is. a lot around, shall we? How many has he scored? It's in, it's not a fucking lot. It's it's relative. But it, does he get double figures ever? I bet you he doesn't. add on Wikipedia that shit quickly.
0: He brings he brings a whole lot of extra stuff to his game. The did. I was thinking of a link up. If he scored I more than ten goals of... in any of his seasons, at and Mayan, also fall off he must be chair. brilliant in change room. Like to get to go from clubs that he's gone to. He, honestly, his banter must be absolutely brilliant. So I, I don't think Wikipedia is going to tell you about that.
1: I've lost who we're talking about. What's going on? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: he's at a meant kami to moment. Be
4: googling Chipper Morton.
1: Oh right, so yes, so that that's that's <clears throat> who I thought we were, but I didn't know if I just missed something. Um, yeah, no, he's not that good. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Has he got yeah, more than yeah, nine goals so wrong. in any of his seasons for Bayern? Yes. So he's even underrated by Wikipedia. That's how underrated he is. Uh,
1: he reached double figures. He reached ten goals once.
2: Can I can I just correct you on that? He for Bayern, yes, but for Mainz, he actually reached ten goals in the season twice, and for Bayern, he's done it once. And that's only that's only if you're counting his Bundesliga goals as well, which not we are. cup or Champions League. So he's he's probably scored more in his worst season than that fucking Hoyland will for his entire United career.
4: He's got four goals in four games, mate. Even that, he's going to break that this year question
2: mm. is,
1: so who's better,
2: Pelé or Tupo-moting? That's, that's Tupo-moting without a doubt.
4: <laughs> I agree.
0: <laughs> of all the things that could get us cancelled, Tom saying that Pelé was overrated it's probably probably what will actually do it. But um, that was a lot of fun, as usual, as usual. Um, no, it wasn't. It was terrible. Not, not for a long time. <laughs> that was a horrible
1: time. <laughs>
3: I heard a great thing, actually, the other day. Did anyone hear this? Frank Lampard was on the overlap and they asked him, he was talking about football management and whether he'd like to go back into it and that kind of thing. And he he was talking about it. And Ian Wright turned around and said to him, it sounds horrific. Like, why would you ever want to be in football management? And Roy Keane spoke about it and Ian Wright just didn't get it. And then (laughs) Roy Keane said that it's like going on your big night out on a Friday. You go out, you get absolutely hammered and you woke up feeling terrible the next day, but then come the next Friday, you're ready to do it all again. And I just love that analogy for football management. I thought that was really good. I empathise with that massively. (laughs) And not because of your experience in football management.
0: (laughs) 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 Bringing this back on track, though, we have got some great shirt content coming over the next few weeks, haven't we, Mike?
2: We have. Um, We've got a lot lined up for the pod. Some really, really good interviews coming up. We're not going to give too much away, but we've got former players lined up. We've got more brands and manufacturers lined up. We've just got some really, really, really good stuff coming up. So just, yeah, keep listening, basically.
0: And if we don't have any of that, we'll just be chatting shit as usual. So, you know, if that's what floats your boat,
3: we've got a bit of that coming Next week, we'll be talking about how Francesco Totti was actually shit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I, I do. I do have a quick question before we go for everybody. Obviously, since the last episode went out, our wonderful sponsor, Granny, he had his big drop that we were talking about. Did anybody pick anything up? No, so none of us here have supported the guy that that supports us. To to be fair, I
1: I was really tempted to get one and I was umming and ahhing about the Argentina goalkeeper shirt, but it sold before I made a decision on it. Um, But I have to say, it was up for an incredible price. And I was, just to describe it, it as an old Adidas one, kind of rainbow uh, effect. Obviously it's rainbow style, uh, brightly coloured, and it was really, really smart. And I was was umming and ahhing because it was slightly too big for me. And then yeah someone bought it understandably
2: yeah do you know what i was the same i was actually i'm mean, in an r in on those funky bayern munich prototype slash factory in south america gone rogue shirts just is that the one jimmy got yeah i was just oh, the saying jimmy got it no. yeah yeah which i'm I'm glad it's gone to uh another collector that, we follow on the socials so at least i get to see him share it now again but no it, it it was a good drop so anybody listening you probably missed out on the bulk of it by now but i'm sure he's still got plenty of shirts to sell. so just get on over to Granny'sFootballStore.com and buy some football shirts
0: wise words to live your life by mike wise words with no further ado i think that brings to conclusion this week's discussion and the excellent topics that we have covered i hope you feel educated enlightened and motivated to go out and enjoy your football shirt collecting hobbies uh if you don't and for any reason you want to sell your football shirts please reach out to us at they think oh i
2: got a confession i think i'm a seller now because i i sold some football shirts this week i sold like nine thing is
1: though mike i was talking to you earlier and you were saying that you were selling some shirts to make space and you've sold nine shirts, how many have you bought? <laughs>
2: Ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I made the space for the new shirts. That, that's how it works, right? Uh, there's a space that's got to be filled. Hey, look.
0: You know what we're going to do next week, though? We will go through Mike's new shirts, only to hear him have to pronounce the names of these Turkish clubs that he's bought. I, oh, I think that's
3: what will be well it.
2: One one of them, I genuinely can't. Does anybody know the team that Perlo managed in Turkey?
3: I just, just wanna know more about these faces you want to fill in.
2: Oh, I bet <laughs> you do. <laughs> D- DM me after, Tom, right?
0: So is is Scott gonna wrap up because he was wrong about Chippa Morton severely
4: wrong.
2: He's not going to, is he?
4: <laughs> you think getting Chipper Morton's goal tally wrong? Wants me saying the most disgusting phrase in Scottish history? <laughs> that is the most disgusting
0: phrase in Scottish
2: history.
1: A game that didn't even involve you. <coughs>
2: Obsessed much? That is their. That is their international history. Can I be a young brew
0: in a deep fade, man? That's bad, Please, that's my Scottish <laughs> disgusting phrase in Scottish history.
2: <laughs> Oh, God. No, Adam, you can that. Adam, you've got to do the outro in your Scottish accent now. I'm not doing my Scottish accent. It's, it's Northern
4: Irish. It's Northern Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so they think it's all over? It is. Yeah, no. yeah so, Scottish won't, won't The fucking stitch up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I did not say that. Take that out. Whoever's editing this, take that out. Slander, hearsay, rumour.